episode 53 of This Developing Story. So this week I actually finished my employment with Block um, a couple days ago and um, have already moved on to the next company. I'm actually going to wait to talk more in detail next week about what I'm doing um, now. Um, but for this episode, I'm just going to just give you a brief update. Um, I, I finished up the React app. I think they're going to announce it um, externally um, pretty soon about what I've put together. Um, so let Block talk more about that in detail. Um, as far as what I've been working on, I've just actually been relaxing this week, so I don't really have much to, to update about. Just been studying up on some Go things uh, since I'll be writing... Go eventually. I'm actually focusing more on the front end uh, for my new new position, so it's mainly React um, at the moment, and I'll have more details about that next week. Um, otherwise, I am doing an episode, um, which is a little bit different. I actually have multiple people on the episode, um, so the sound's going to be a little bit different because we've got um, multiple people talking into one mic. Um, not the most ideal, but for short notice, I think it worked uh, pretty pretty well. Um, I've actually got a few different engineers from the block team um, that I get to talk to, and we go into a, a bit of detail about um, basically learning the code, um, the state of learning the code, and we talk a little bit about um, JavaScript, but um, you can really replace the name like the word JavaScript with any language or any technology um, based on the conversation we had. Um, so I have uh, Megan Marquardt, uh, Jason Norris, and Joe Lipper, who's actually on a previous episode. Um, so Joe doesn't really explain who he is uh, in great detail, um, but Megan and Jason do, um, just because we most likely you'll, you'll listen to uh, Joe's episode um, previously. So if you haven't Listen to that episode. Listen to episode 40 of this developing story. It's Joe's uh, story of how he got into developing and um, what he does today. So um, here's the block team and hope you enjoy. Cool. So I've got team block here. Um, and with this being actually my last day, um, this kind of lines up. Uh, I wanted to do this like a while ago, but I just never got around to it. Because um, I'm so popular in podcasting, you know, it takes up a lot of my time. And yeah, sure, I understand. That. Makes sense. I, understand. I get a lot of PR requests, and so anyway, uh, on the podcast, I've got to my right. We'll, we'll just go like this way, and we'll introduce ourselves. Sure. Um, so, Joe, if you want to go, Joe. I am Joe. I am a software engineer slash curriculum developer at Block. I am. <laughs> Good. Immediately <laughs> to Joe's right is Jason Norris, which is also me. Uh, I'm also a software developer at Block. I'm Megan Marquardt, also to Jason's right and Joe's right. Um, <laughs> software developer here at Block. Um, learned Ruby on Rails in the last year. New to web development within the last year and a few months. Cool. And, uh, it, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm going to ask you another question on how you got into programming. Um, we won't talk about Joe because Joe's already been on a podcast episode, which I'll link in the show notes. Uh, but Megan, could you go more into detail like what your background is? And yeah, um, I actually started programming in high school. Um, my brother and all his friends were programmers, so I wanted to be a programmer too. Uh, and had this awesome teacher, and uh, so I took regular computer science, AP computer science, and then. 
thought I was going to be a chemist at Berkeley, and then that did not work out. <laughs> Switched over to a computer science major, um, finished that out with a concentration in computer graphics and animation. Um, after college, um, almost went to USC for a uh, master's degree, but instead started work at Industrial Light and Magic as part of Lucasfilm. Um, started on the graveyard shift, which was midnight to 10 a.m., and uh, learned Python on the job and worked on rendering tools, and I was there for about six years. Um, and then I left for what I heard of being magical startup land, which mm. I found, and still magical, unicorns everywhere. Yeah. Cool. And Jason, do you just want to give us a, a brief? Yeah, so um, I, I guess I technically started web development when I was in about eighth grade. My friend uh, Mike and I wanted to start a fantasy wrestling league, and so I bought The Complete Idiot's Guide to HTML, and I read it in one day um, and started making websites. Uh, the first one was for the Extreme Wrestling Federation, which is our... Uh, and it, it actually had a CGI form on it where you could sign up, so it was pretty advanced. Ooh, um, wow. uh, and this was like eighth grade, so it was like 2000-ish? Uh, let's see, yeah, like, yeah, two, around 99, 2000. Wow. Um, That's pretty advanced. And see, <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of, there were a lot of, like, uh, really awesome, like, animated GIFs and stuff on the page, I remember, in, a, like, a bloody background. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, from there, I... Um, I went to college for computer engineering at uh, University of Illinois and decided I didn't want to be an engineer anymore when I graduated, so uh, I joined the finance world and worked for a year as a uh, systems analyst at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And I, after a year, I didn't know what I was supposed to, I still didn't know what a systems analyst was supposed to do, so I quit. And, uh, <laughs> And in, in that time, I, me and my friend Dan were had started like a little consulting uh, company, and so I learned Ruby on Rails that way. Um, so I had a, another job doing like Rails kind of consulting stuff in Chicago, and then I moved out to San Francisco um, to work at RDO, um, and that was kind of a dream job for me. I worked there for about three and a half years, and. Uh, decided I wanted to move on to something new and came over to Block after that. Cool. Awesome. And Joe, thanks for coming. <laughs> oh, yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> so I I originally made this event, like, state of code, because I, I honestly had no idea what we were going to talk about. I just know I wanted to have some people at Block to talk, because um, I feel like it's important for people, especially our students, to know who is actually writing the code, that we're actually humans. Um, also with the curriculum team, same thing. Um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm never going to have a podcast with the curriculum team. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, maybe I should. Yeah. I shouldn't. I shouldn't make so many ultimatums on <laughs> while recording a live podcast. They're, they're overrated anyway. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, I'll make a note about about that. But um, I wanted to talk about instead of the questions I sent you is about full stack JavaScript. Um, I think it's a question that comes up all the time, especially for students. Like last week, actually last Friday, I think we had a rant um, on Facebook, our Facebook group. Oh, yeah, it was a mini rant yeah. asking about different like JavaScript frameworks and yeah. why we're not teaching those particular ones. Which, like, if, if you're internal to block, like, you, I mean, I understand, like, the reason why we don't, we're not teaching React is because React is fairly new. It only picked up sp- speed um, 
pretty recently, like within the last couple of years even, even though React's been around for like three years. Um, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on it rather than give my rant. So we'll start with uh, Joe. Do you, well, do you want to summarize the, I mean, I guess you kind of encapsulated it, but what the discussion in the Facebook group was so that we can yeah, contextualize it, it for a, anybody it listening? Was, yeah, I didn't see it. It was a question about um, why we teach particular frameworks um, and why we stick to certain um, versions like Angular JS, we stick right. to um, make oh, so one, but he was discussing the, the possibility of, of right. the second version. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of good discussion about why um, learning new frameworks is good and important, but um, I think my post on there was something like. Um, it's good to know the the base language, right? And uh, like yeah. it's more important to be able to learn that next framework and version as opposed to just just knowing um, a particular set of frameworks. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned that like the even with the, some of the most modern frameworks, like it's all the kind of like underpinnings are still very much like patterns that have been around for years, right. um, some of which, you know, may be resurging in, in some sense. But like, if you know how closures work, if you know how modules work, if you know different functional design patterns, if you know object-oriented design patterns, then it'll be much easier to pick up any of those frameworks that use those patterns, which almost, you know, every web framework uses some sense of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think also, you know, if your intention is to have a career as a web developer, um, technology moves so quickly, uh, there's no possible way that you'll ever spend your entire career working with the same frameworks of the same. So there will be new frameworks. There will be new technologies. And your ability to adapt to those new technologies and frameworks is going to dictate how successful you are in your career, whether you end up getting pigeonholed as being an iOS developer or an Angular web developer or a React web developer or whatever the next new thing is. Um, if you can build those strong foundations, then you don't. You're just a software developer. Right. You don't even have to be right. a web developer. You can. You can. Right. Um, you know, those fundamentals are much more applicable. Uh, I think to the the general problems that you're going to be solving in your career. Not not to mention the like just general ability of learning how to learn and right. like what what the process is for picking up things on the fly. Um, we talk. I mean, I don't want to make this too specific to that discussion and try and keep it at. Yeah, the full stack JavaScript level, but like, we—I mean, we've talked before about how you know one of the things that we've done in rewriting our courses over the last couple of years is trying to emphasize fundamentals more and move um, the framework stuff to kind of a more elective section at the end. At least we did that in the front end curriculum with the JavaScript, where we we used to have Angular and jQuery as a kind of like an integrated part, and then we rewrote it so that there's vanilla DOM scripting. There's much more emphasis on different JavaScript concepts. Um, and then moved all this stuff to the project, which is an elective mm -hmm. section at Block. And so, um, we, I mean, we, I think we all acknowledge that that's definitely something that matters, the fundamentals over the frameworks and learning things yeah. on the fly. For sure. I, um, so I gave a talk. Um, I, I do a lot of talks. Um, when I was living in Orlando at the University of Central Florida uh, for the Engineering slash Computer Science Club. Uh, I forgot what the name of it was. And um, I basically gave a talk about Git. And basically said, oh, I do Ruby on Rails, whatever. Um, this is how you do Git. And then I had uh, some students actually approach me after the fact. It's like, oh, yeah, we know Rails. So, uh, we've been using it for like, a little side project. And they're like, oh, yeah, but we hate, uh, we hate that Ruby changes so often. And like, it can't really keep up with it. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, 
with it being like, we're still in Ruby 2 for like the past year. Like it's not really moving as fast as JavaScript, uh, but I understand where they come from because they came from um, at UCF, they teach Java. Mm -hmm. And Java's, um, I don't know if the term slow moving is the right term for it, but some of the things that you learn in your Java books, I guess, in, keep, in your computer science courses will still be um, still intact maybe a couple years later. Mm -hmm. And they, they appreciated that because they can go through their entire four years and be like, oh, I still know how to do this rather than like teams keeping up to date. And I think that's also something to keep in mind too is like we're teaching students through our, our boot camp, our quote unquote boot camp, and we're teaching them a language that's, you know, not that it's up and coming. I don't know. Ruby's kind of reached like its uh, maturity. And same thing with JavaScript. Not that it's mature, it's still moving fast. But learning something like this and learning in 12, 36 weeks, you, 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 you have to understand that. I think our mentors are doing a better job of that now, understanding that this will change. And like your point, Joe, um, the actual curriculum is moving to a point where we're going to be teaching you the fundamentals over the, like, what's the new hotness and what's the new library that came out last weekend uh, yeah. implement that in your app, which is cool. Like, if you learn the fundamentals, you'll be more than, like, equipped enough to learn, like, React or React Native or Vue.js or Insert Framework, whatever, here. Um, as long as you know how JavaScript works, you should be pretty good. Right. Yeah, I think when I, when I think about, like, what a boot camp should be or, or what it represents it's kind of like you think of those old like kung fu movies where there's like some dude in training and he's he's fighting some like you know like little statue person that maybe has like a spring-loaded arm or whatever um and that's how he like learns how to fight but ultimately you're you're gonna be fighting a human being and so it's like these things you learn in the boot camp you're learning uh, a framework or a language that's that's just the little statue guy like when you go out on a job that's like when the real stuff's gonna happen right like nasty stuff that you can never predict and uh, you know lot things that are that are maybe conceptually simple but like the implementation ends up being way nastier than you thought um, and if you've if you've trained in the right way then then you'll be ready for that kind of stuff yeah yeah, I think a lot of that reminds me of like you're like learning in a bubble where everything is perfect and good and right. you control all of the code around you because it's your project. But as soon as you like get out into the real world, you're looking at other people's code, you're looking at frameworks you don't even know and you have to be able to jump in and like it's almost like being able to debug something like that is way more important than actually knowing what that language is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've jumped into like a bunch of Angular code when I didn't even know Angular, which was very recent. <laughs> and as long as you can, like, you're used to design patterns and knowing fundamentals, you can kind of grok your way through it. Um, and then you just look up those little things that are different about, like, each framework. And then it's... Yeah, and as I always you... say it's, it's like learning Italian if you already know Spanish. Like, right. you just need to know a little bit right. of the different things. The underlying syntax and grammar is, is right. very similar, but the sort of, like, Contextual semantics are different, and that's a great that's a great argument for. I feel like when a lot of people start out, they um, and it, and it makes sense why they have this mindset. It's like, all right, well, what's what's the most marketable like languages and frameworks? Like, mm -hmm. how how am I going to get a job? Um, and that makes sense. But I think if you like, and that's a fine mindset to have, like when you're starting out. But I think as you as you grow. Uh, if you keep that same mindset, you're going to miss out on a lot of like really nice things. Like, all right, well, mm -hmm. should I learn like uh, Lisp or should I learn Erlang or like you know all these different things you can learn, maybe more esoteric and a little bit less marketable. Uh, 
you'll start to see little pieces of those languages pop up in these other mm-hmm. frameworks yeah, and languages. Sure. And you go, oh, wow, okay, that's why Ruby does it this way. Like, maybe it was inspired by Smalltalk for this one feature or, like, the different frameworks. And then it really, like, once you can have a thing that you can quickly kind of, like, oh, that's, like, this other thing I know. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, like, your understanding's so much deeper than uh, than just, like, if you write right. some documentation. Well, isn't, like, a lot of the functional immutable stuff in JavaScript, like, inspired by a lot of the, like, Scala development that's been happening? Or, like, I feel like the people have been bringing that back a little bit. That, that like, basically, they JavaScript always have these capabilities, but they, like, part of the reason is they're like, hey, well, what about this language that everybody uses? What can we bring from other places that kind of help with some of the problems that it has, I guess? Yeah, I mean, JavaScript is interesting because it's such a such a non-feature rich language uh, up until very recently and and now it's kind of like it's getting the since it is become such an important language like it's it's really getting it's getting the steroid treatment yeah (laughs) like it's like you know like ES5 was how long was that around and they're already like then they release ES2015 slash ES6 and they're already working on ES7 and it might be out like next year and it's like yeah, that's the plan. I think every year now, going forward, that's why the switch to 2015, 2016 is because every year they want to implement all these things people are working on for the yeah. TC39, yeah, that's whatever. The committee. Yeah, so um, yeah, ES5 came like 2009 and ES2015. Yeah, they, had, they had some updates to ES5, so like I know that like in the first version of ES5, they didn't have like built in uh, map and e for each on array. Like you, you have to have browsers that support that, either some build for it, but. Um, yeah, there hasn't been any big improvements until, you know, last year, basically. Yeah. I could easily see, like, very large companies falling behind in versions that way. Like, mm-hmm. another yeah. thing that came out of the discussion on the, the Hacker Club was that, um, like, large companies don't like to change their version. It's a lot of code that they have mm-hmm. to change. Um, like, it's a huge engineering effort, and if you're not getting enough enough of a win from doing that update, they'll say, no, let's just stay on Python 2.6. Right. Yeah. For a very long time. <laughs> so going back to the full stack JavaScript conversation, Node is actually doing that for their LTS branches. Mm-hmm. So Node 4 is LTS, which is long-term support. Mm-hmm. And so that will not get updates as frequent. So Node 6 that came out like last week now has ES6 or ES2015 like conventions built in. Uh, but Node 4 doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, that's what Node's trying to do. Because Node's actually... Um, the company that managed Node now is owned by IBM. So IBM is like, uh, I think they're pushing a lot of that. Enterprise effort. Node. Right. Yeah. Interesting. There used to be a Ruby Enterprise Edition, which was like a kind of similar thing that came with like, I think, like support and all this other stuff. But uh, I, I think, I don't think that's around anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, as, as more and more people start adopting stuff, you require stability. You know, like you don't, I, or at I, least backwards compatibility. Yeah, I was, uh, I was listening to another podcast. Um, oh, how dare you! I know. <laughs> I, I usually I just throw yours on repeat for a couple hours, but this time your, I was your like, episode. It was. It, it, I think I accidentally pushed pushed the wrong button, and you know, I got on something else. But uh, it was uh, this guy Marco Arman, who's the, the former CTO of uh, Tumblr. And he was talking. Overcast. Yeah, he's he he writes he writes the uh, Overcast podcast client and also did Instapaper and a couple other things. Uh, and he was talking about how 
when you're working at scale, like your best friends are technologies that are like old, boring, and predictable. Like yeah, the nice things, cool. yeah, yeah. Like Java. he he still uses. I mean, he there are some things like he uses as a crawler for his podcast client that he wrote in Go because it just the performance gains were insane. And so mm-hmm. he does have some stuff that's like in you know written in a modern way, but he still writes. PHP and has a MySQL database just because, and you know, hosted on his own, on his own, like old version of Unix self-hosted server or whatever, like just because he knows how all those behave and it's the way to be reliable at scale. And, you know, it's, it's really difficult to keep up with, especially, I feel like to some extent San Francisco is like a little bit worse or like the Bay Area is a little bit worse than other places because everybody here is so immersed in like the the latest thing and there's so many startups popping up that allow for you to kind of like have a fresh reset on yeah, technology like, that, like, that new thing right yeah. yeah so like you're like oh well of course we're gonna write this new thing that we have in the best new framework because it's it's stable finally and let's do it like it's right. it's cool everybody likes kind of has like the uh, what's magpie developer <laughs> syndrome where like you look for the shiniest new thing yeah. to to put into your stack uh, I'm and, literally leaving to go right go yeah <laughs> react yeah but I mean like you know. It's probably a relatively new startup, right? <laughs> oh yeah. If you, I mean, if you have the luxury of being able to work yeah. with new yeah. tools, then obviously you're going to want to work with new tools. But I think that it's like when you're in this environment, it's exacerbated how much you should like be working on the newer stuff because it seems like people are willing to keep up with the pace, right. and a lot of the people, you know, are involved in the open source that develops the new yeah. stuff, and so yeah. it seems more like a part of the zeitgeist, I guess. Yeah. I could speak for outside the Bay Area, which is not like the Bay Area is like completely different than how everybody else operates because uh, I came from a, uh, not even a startup but an actual company that was actually public and we were in a Rails 3.2 app with like no roadmap to get to Rails 4 mm-hmm. and like we were fine with it pretty much um, but I wanted to also mention when you were talking about everybody uh, always increasing or whatever um, have you guys familiar how Netflix operates? Uh, in what way? So, I, I so it serves videos, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that. Chaos I know how to <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have um, orange is new black, and no. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so Netflix they operate in the mindset, and then I don't know, I don't want to quote. I'll, I'll find a blog post associated, but they operate like an NBA team, and I think every six months to a year or whatever, you kind of have to like test to see if you're still like eligible to work there. And well, after a certain point, if you're like, if you're not up to speed or whatever, it's like, oh, well, we're gonna have to, you know, part ways, and that's like how they operate. Is that wow. ba- is that yeah. based on your ability to keep up with new stuff, or is that based on, or is that just like we're checking in to see how you're doing as a like a general performance? Yeah, I think it's a general performance. I'm not sure if you like have to do like the newest React or whatever. But that's interesting. Um, I'll have to I'll have to confirm that. If not, I'll on the end of the podcast I'll say I lied. Um, <laughs> I heard someone talk about this, and this is how Netflix operates, where you have to kind of like. If your performance is not up to par with the rest of the team, then it's time to start looking for employment elsewhere. I guess you got to be kind of ruthless when, like, your traffic accounts for, like, some absurd percentage of, like, yeah. with on the internet at, yeah. between the hours of, like, 7 and 11 p.m. or yeah. whatever. Yeah, they, they're kind of leading. I, I would say they're leading the industry as far as technology and what they're doing there. Um, it's, yeah, I remember they had a really interesting blog post about how they were just, like, running up against the limits of, like, how Node, it, like, it, uh, Node's, like, single-threaded. Yeah. architecture or whatever like they have this really interesting blog post about how things are just timing out after a certain volume or whatever and it was it was pretty interesting and I, I also saw uh, I went to a talk by uh, this guy Jafar Hussein who's a he's like one of their you know leading JavaScript architects there and he gave a really interesting talk about how they handle asynchronous uh, requests using uh, 
RxJS yeah, observables yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, iterators rather than um, like promises, basically, um, which is which was really interesting too. They they seem like they're really playing with a lot of different things and how they do their technology. Yeah, yeah. I think like it, it's interesting to hear that because I was having a discussion with Dave last week about like our CTO. Yeah, who, I, don't, um, I don't know if people know. Who I, don't, I don't think I've set the stage to explain who Dave is. Yeah, I, just, I, I just say my boss every time. I, I, was, okay. I was just gonna, I was just gonna, just, like, just, just some guy, Dave. People. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, the guy you talked to at the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> my dog. <laughs> um, so, uh, but we we were talking about like what what the role of, like a senior developer is, and I I think a big role of a senior developer is to be able to like look at and evaluate new technology and then decide you know is is this like is this actually new and is is it like does it push us forward yeah. in some way so like um i think that's the double-edged sort of like being a developer is like there's two extremes that you can you can find yourself going to after a little while one is you like become this curmudgeonly old person who who like thinks everything new is stupid and you want to keep doing things <laughs> the old way, um, which, you know, works, but um, it's probably going to be harder to, like, get people excited about what you're doing, and, and it's probably going to be harder for you to stay excited about what you're doing. Um, the other extreme is, yeah, the Magpie developer who's like, if it's new, I want to do it. Like, yeah. and, mm-hmm. it and I think there's a happy medium, and that's, like, a really good uh, senior developer is someone who can say, like, you know, this this is actually useful, this is going to gonna help us, or you know, hey, that, that new thing that, like, just came out, you know, that's that's been, that was done in the 80s, and, yeah. you know, C++, whatever, right. we've already seen how this goes, like. Um, Megan, what's your perspective from, like, coming into the web development world? Is it is it more crazy than the graphics world, or is it yeah, equally, are both <laughs> equally, is this just a, a symptom well, or a, a, a malaise of technology in general? Well, it's funny, the, what you were talking about, larger companies and keeping stable software was, it, pretty interesting because that was the, like the main focus at ILM because um, the the main point of the entire company is movies and pixels on screen. Um, so technology would oftentimes take a second role to that. Mm-hmm. And so when things came up, like a new version of Python came up and it would, and the senior developers would decide that it was a good thing to move towards, it was really difficult to convince the higher up management that this is a good thing, it's worth engineering effort, things like that. Yeah. And it's still, like, when I left, it still wasn't completely moved over to the version we wanted it to. And that um, that move had been going for, like, at least a year. Yeah. Um, but that was, it was a really old code base. It was at least 10 years old, which is way, like, a lot longer than a lot of startups. Yeah. So when I left ILM, it was kind of this opportunity to check out what was actually new and happening, um, all these new technologies but the thing was, I didn't even know web development. I knew like um, command line scripts with Python, and and I had just started getting into maybe like like a, a JavaScript kind of thing in a little window. That's actually a PyQt window. It's just like kind of starting to do maybe web development, and uh, so like I had to start from the like very beginnings of what happens when you go to Google.com. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what that means. So everything in the last year has still been like really new for me. So there was Ruby on Rails, and then um, learning JavaScript, jQuery, um, AngularJS, and then it seemed with our tools at Block, we were moving more towards 
um, a, a full stack JavaScript thing. So you're you're using Angular and APIs in order to serve up everything on the on the front end. And um, it was strange to see that kind of shift when I was already so new to web development. Um, so when like these things come up, V Dougie's talks. They kind of like blow my mind because I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that you could add in that other framework. Oh, and there's another one there, and this is the different flavor of that framework. Yeah. So for me, these things seem like they're moving at at lightning speed compared to like six years of development of just ju of just Python of the same minor version. So. Do you like it? Uh, or that do you find was, it that was a long-winded <laughs> response, but. Do you like it or do you find it overwhelming? A little bit overwhelming. Um, it's still exciting. Like, um, I think I was getting a little bit bored when I felt like I mastered Ruby on Rails, and then that's when we started getting into more Angular JS. So that was something new to learn and a new way to approach uh, building these pages. So it's very, it's just always new. So I have a hard time keeping up. Um, but it, it's almost like I feel like I have a really good uh, foundation of my fundamentals, so the next place to go to keep learning is to learn these new frameworks and try out different architectures. And um, I think, Jason, you, you said it nicely in a, in a code diff a couple days ago, like use the right tool for the right job. And it was this decision between using like Ruby on Rails or Angular to serve up uh, data to the front end. Yeah, the rendering on the client side versus rendering on the server. Um, and I think that's that's like the the kind of thing that it's you know rendering on the server the the standard like uh, Rails way of doing things is not cool. It's not sexy, you know, um, but it's fast and it's easy. Uh, and if you're you know, so th those are the kind of decisions that are you know sometimes not very popular, but I think ultimately. Um, Help with stability, help with with things like performance. I think I think it was years ago actually that like Twitter was doing all of their like rendering on the um, client side and actually like returned back to doing most of the stuff yeah. on the client, which was, at the time was like There's whoa, a, like they're moving backwards, right? They're they're the hash bang of Twitter URL eras. I remember those yeah. people we're talking about for a little bit. It's a it's like a full circle because I I've been in the industry not as long as you guys but all I hear is that oh this is how we used to do it like years ago and I think uh, there's actually a really good talk about Steve Klapnik it's actually about Rust and Ruby but he goes on this really like good rant about how um, years when Rails first started um, the founder of, or the creator of Rails did a, a talk and it was like basically this f Java and like. Like, oh, we could do this in Ruby, and look how great it is. And um, he spent, there was a lot of energy in the beginning of Rails, like, like talking about how bad Java was. Um, but now Rails has started to come out with these new ideas and these new ways of, like, um, architecturing um, Rails apps that Java did back in 2000. So we're going to full circle. Like, we didn't, we, uh, Rails developers didn't take the time to learn. Um, and this was basically his, his, um, his uh, explanation after doing this uh, rant was that we didn't uh, Rails developers didn't take the time to learn from Java developers because they spent the whole time like basically like blowing them off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though now they're basically implementing the same thing that Java did back in two thousand. Right, and that's and that's why that's like where it would have taken taken like a really uh, you know a a really like 
smart and also articulate uh, like Java developer could have come along and like really made a big difference in the in the Rails community if they would have been there. You see people like Yehuda Katz or whatever who's really involved in the Rails uh, community early on, and then as soon as things started getting very like JavaScript heavy, he was kind of like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go help these people now. Yeah, and uh, I thought that was interesting because. It, you see, like, in the development of Ember, how he's taken a lot of things that he's learned from, and that whole team, a lot of them were really involved with the Rails core. Is like, they've taken that and applied that now. Say what you will about Ember, but, I mean, it's it's those people have a ton of experience. They're very smart. They've built a lot of great things. Um, and so, like, that's another, that's another example of, like, it's a totally different language, right? But there's still so much that you can, that you can learn from, from these other things. Um, yeah. So just having like a wide base of knowledge is very useful. It's hard to know like when to s- stop, mm-hmm. you know? Because for me right now, I feel like I could goldfish it and just keep learning new frameworks. And then at what point? It's the hedonic you... treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> hedonic. Yeah, like at what point do you like come back and say, "Oh, I need to work back on my fundamentals. I need to work on like yeah. different." Approaches to architecture as opposed to this new framework, this new version of an existing framework, things like that. So I, I have an approach to that, and it's what I've been, what I've been doing for the past two years. I've actually been in the industry, and I think of it like an RPG, where like you have like your satchel, your sack that you have, your things that you can do, or not even that, actually your skills that you can level up. So like it's like alchemy, or if it's actually sword fighting, whatever it is. So my approach is learn four languages and learn them well and make sure they don't overlap each other. So like, I know Ruby, so I know Python, but I'm not gonna level up in Python, so I don't do that. Um, but my goal was, my goal from last year, 2015, was to learn iOS, um, which also which basically unlocked Swift and Objective-C for me in a year. And then, so I have Ruby, iOS, and then Go is another language that I basically approached, and I'm okay with, not really that great. But I try to do languages that are very, very differently, are different, and same thing with frameworks. So, um, my approach is to basically just learn something really well and then learn something else that doesn't associate very closely to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I've, I feel like it's worked with me. Um, I'll let you know in a couple years if I'm still in the industry, um, <laughs> if, it, if it works out for me in like you know, two years from now. But um, yeah, that's been my approach so thus far. And uh, I feel like it's worked. And I, I actually got that approach from someone from the Code Newbies broad podcast. I think it was like maybe Zed Shaw, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. Um, the learn Ruby one Python the hard way. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's who I got it from. So it's that's like, a great approach. If you do the languages, it's like you learn Italian and you learn Japanese, yeah. so that you can. Yeah, you, you learn Arabic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the Italian and Spanish thing was really like a really good um, what do you call it um, abstract to what actual coding is because, like, I don't know Portuguese, uh, but Patrick knows Portuguese and mm-hmm. he knows Spanish, like well enough right. to like, speak Spanish because they're pretty similar. Yeah. That's, but, it was easy to pick up Ruby because Ruby and Python are very, yeah. very similar. You just Google it was like, the Rails part like that really how got to me. whatever in Ruby. Yeah. 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 How to Python thing in Ruby. And there's like a billion <laughs> stack overflow. That's how I interviewed yeah. uh, for the company I'm working for now. Um, just Google how to do this and go but in Ruby. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's how I, how I did it. I think it's and I think where when your mind really starts to expand, like I went from doing uh, when I was at RDO, I went from doing uh, three years of like only JavaScript or like eighty percent JavaScript to doing Erlang, 
and like when I would say like you know when I would try to do those Google searches about Erlang, it's just like there's nothing. <laughs> it's like well, you just don't do that in Erlang, right? Yeah. And then that's that's when it's like that's when you're like standing at the bottom of the mountain and you're like, oh man, I gotta like actually walk up this thing. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's when you that's when you grow. Like those those things that are like totally out there. That's will really crack your head open. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we've actually hit our time limit, so I think we'll go around the room for closing thoughts. Um, I don't know if I even explained to you like the audience for the podcast, but a lot of like a lot of potential block students, a lot of block alum, a lot of people who just want to get in the code, and people who are already in code tend to listen to this podcast. So if you could part with like a thought to someone who's about to write uh, a long blog post on Medium about how code is hard. <laughs> Um, if you could do one encouraging thought to someone that's looking at that, um, what would it be? I, w- I would say focus really hard on, on fundamentals and knowing what happens when you're actually running through that for loop, understanding what's really happening like under the hood, why it's the memory storage that's even happening. Like Go levels deeper if, you stu- if you're getting stuck. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. I, I would say, like, on a more just, like, uh, not practical, but, like, the actions you can take, like, just start writing something. Like, I know for me, especially, like, if I want to learn something new, I will procrastinate by, like, reading about it. And, uh, and that's all well and good, but you really don't learn anything until you start. So, like, pick something, pick something really stupid and trivial and, you know, and write it. And then expand on it or move on to the next thing but um like all all the reading is is just gonna like make you feel more overwhelmed and and whatever once you start you know getting some code on the page is is when you'll start to feel that accomplishment Mm -hmm. i would say get really good at finding small things that interest you to pull you in kind of because like i find that it's really hard for me if like programming is super complex and if you're learning that complexity is super daunting and you have that situation where you're like, all right, I'm four weeks in a row now where I said I was going to read this Ruby book and I haven't done anything with it. And it's like, well, what's actually going to incentivize you? Well, find something really small that, like, even if it's, like, I don't know, a uh, uh, categorization program for your favorite TV shows and use that to learn something about object-oriented design. Um, just, like, find stuff that is, like, small modular enough. Ideally, it's something you can finish in a week so you don't have to commit a bunch of time to it. You know, a weekend would be ideal, but I know that's not feasible when you're younger or, like, a newer to programming. And use that to, to, to hammer on the fundamentals to actually program, right, like building off of both of your guys' suggestions. Um, and that's, I feel like that's the most successful way you're going to find, like, an entry point that is accessible and also um, incentivizes you to learn. And then you and then you have like actual real questions instead of like theoretical questions. Right, totally. Right? You're like yeah. this thing's broken. I need to fix it. And I can't figure out how. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's very cool. Good. Great advice. Uh, my only advice would be be consistent. Mm-hmm. Like just show up. Like if you want to learn something. Like, totally. Yeah. Show up and just do it. Like set time on your calendar. If it's yeah. like you know five o'clock in the afternoon or one o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, just like be consistent about it, and then you'll see. Results and you'll see stuff get hard, but if you if you show up every day, then uh, it'll get easy eventually. Yeah, it also takes the weight out of every session that you have when you show up every day because yeah. it's just a, it's a habit that you built into like kind of your mindset of understanding and, and what you're how you're allocating your time every day, and it, it makes 
makes the stakes a lot lower when you have a bad day or you don't get something or you spend an entire day looking at one single line of code and understanding. Yeah, <laughs> right. You just come back the next day. And this is totally something to be said for having time away from a problem and coming back to it and like giving right. yourself a day. And I think that if you can keep the habit, you know, that's ideal. Cool. So, um, usually if you guys are on the internet, I usually ask like if people wanted to find you, um, how could they find you on the internet? Uh, Megan? At Megan Marie 610 uh, both on Medium and Twitter. I am Jason the Norris uh, on basically everything. I am at Joe Lipper on Twitter. Follow me for the fire retweets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can holler at me at BWO on Twitter, um, but you probably already knew that. <laughs> cool. So that's it. That's the, the block engineering team. Um, uh, I thought that went rather well. So now I am moving forward, looking forward to it. Um, for any of the things we talked about, I'll for sure have them in the show notes, um, especially the uh, Twitter accounts at the end. I know and everybody has uh, the spelling of everybody's American name um, easily remembered or easily typable. So uh, to make it easy, it'll be in the show notes. Um, other than that, have a good week.